All right, well, uh, we are wrapping up the series today, Love Where You Live. For the past couple of weeks, the, the whole month of June, actually, we've been talking about this idea of what does it look like to love where we live, to be people that are known for how we love other people. Uh, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that is supposed to be like the hallmark that, that sets us apart is our love. It's our love for each other and our love for our neighbors and the people around us. And so we're trying to look at, well, well, how do we do that? How do we be people that love where we live? And not just in a broad sense, but kind of in the specifics of our day-to-day life, the places where we live, being that with our family or in our neighborhoods, where we work, where we go to school. How, how can we be people that, that love really, really well? Um, and more than just like a, a broad, kind of squishy, mushy idea of love that, that doesn't really have like a definition because there's, there's, there's something that's kind of just in the air, it's in the, it's in the ether, the cultural ethos that's just kind of like, well, yeah, we just love people, love everybody, but it's like, what does that mean? What does it mean to love people? Um, and, and so for those of us that would call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, there's a very clear definition of what it means to love people. And Jesus set that example for us. And so we've been kind of uh, talking about this idea. That, so we, we, we launched the series laying the groundwork with love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, when he was asked what's the, the greatest commandment, the most important thing, he said, you love God with everything that you have in you and that works itself out for how you love the people around us. Love God and, and love other people. Then the second week we said, but it's, it's not enough just to love our neighbor if our neighbor is, is just the people that's like us. We don't just love who, those who are like us, but those who aren't like us, that think different, believe different, behave different than us, that, that might disagree with us. Actually, we, we even are called to go so far as to love our enemies. Those who would, if given the chance, wish to do us harm. And last week we got practical and said, okay, we're gonna love our neighbors, we're gonna love our enemies. What does that look like? And we said it takes two things. It takes presence and it takes sacrifice. To love our neighbors and even to love our enemies, it takes presence. You can't love people from a distance. Love doesn't work like that. Love, love requires us to get up close and personal and get into to the messiness of everyday life and to be, be near people. It's presence and then it's sacrifice. You spend enough time being present with people, eventually it's gonna cost us something. And so it's generosity, it's sacrifice, it's giving of our time and our, our talents, our treasures, our efforts, our energies, and saying it's not about what's best for me, but how can I lay down what's best for me to pick up what's best for you? And so all of those, so far, the three weeks of this series really have been playing on what we talked about the first week. What does it look like to love your neighbor? It's been centering around what's, what's known as the great commandment or the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's part of what it means to love where you live. It's to embrace and to live out the great commandment. But that's only a part. There's a second part to loving where we live that we're going to talk about today as we wrap this series up. That loving where you live, it requires the great commandment plus the great commission. It's the great commandment, but it's also uh, the great commission. It's loving people like tangibly, uh, meeting needs and serving people and loving the way that Jesus did. But there's this second part that's known as the great commission, and the great commission is go and make disciples. Uh, disciple is just a word, it's not a word that we use that often anymore, but it's the way we talk about it around here is followers of Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows after Jesus. They walk in his footsteps. They're apprentices of Jesus, that the Great Commission is, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, go invite other people into that. Go and proclaim that message. Tell other people, invite people into the Jesus thing, the Jesus way of life. Invite people, present this beautiful message of, of God has done something in the world. He's thrown open the doors to the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus. Go and tell people, go make disciples. And maybe you're, you're thinking, you know, <laughs> 
why should I? Why should I tell you? Because I, I, can, I can hear the conversation. I can almost hear the conversation I'm having with myself as I have this internal dialogue. It's like, yeah, but I don't know if I want to tell other people about Jesus. Like, why should we do that? There's a tension. Like, should I do that? Why should I do that? Why is that important to tell other people to make disciples? And there's probably two sides or two arguments, depending on who you are here on site or online. If you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, maybe it's easy to fall into thinking, well, why should I, why should I make disciples? Why should I tell people? Isn't it, isn't it enough? Can't we just kind of do our little Christian thing? And can't we just like, um, y- you know, we go to church and, and, we, and we believe the right things. And can't I just live a private kind of life? Why does anybody need to know about it? But then if you're someone that you'd say, I'm not a person of faith or I, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm not a Christian yet. I'm still exploring. I still have questions. You might be thinking along those lines of like, yeah, why do Christians feel the need to like tell other people all about what they believe? Why do people want to like cram their Jesus down my throat, like push this Christian religion on me? And let me just say, if that's you, if you're someone that, that has had that experience happen to you, let me say, I'm sorry. I want to apologize on behalf of the church and followers of Jesus. Because yeah, we are supposed to spread this good news about Jesus, but it should never feel like it's something that's being forced upon someone. It should never feel like you need to believe this, you need to do this. It should never come prepackaged with condemnation and judgment. But we are called to tell people about it. And the reason at its core to answer that question, well, why, why should we do this? Is because at its core, the message of Jesus is good news. Like it is absolutely good news for people. And whenever we receive good news, if you've ever been on the receiving end of good news, which I'm going to assume most of us have had some good news in our lives, one of the first things you want to do is tell other people. If you've ever, uh, you know, gone through a medical scare and you were waiting on a doctor's report or you're waiting on the biopsy and when you get that phone call that says you're good, it's all clear, everything's okay, I, I would bet a hundred dollars, maybe, maybe not a million dollars, I would bet a million dollars because I don't actually have a million dollars, but I would bet a hundred bucks that you called people and said, hey, there's really, really good news, let me tell you, it was a good report. I, if, if, you, if you're here and you have children, you're a parent, you're a grandparent, and whenever you first got pregnant or when that baby was born, you, as soon as that happened, you, you called up the people closest to you, you sent a text message, you, you got a hold of people and said, I'm so excited, we're expecting, or the baby was born, would you celebrate this good news with me? You think back, for some of you, maybe you think back a long time, others of you, maybe this is something you're looking forward to, and for some, maybe not so long ago, but can you think to when you got your driver's license? And what did you do? You told all of your friends. You're like, guess what? I've got it. Let me call you up. Let me send you a text message. Let's go. We're going somewhere. I don't care where. There's this good news, and I just want to share it with you. I got accepted into the school I really wanted to get into. I want to share it with you. Like, good news just has this natural response of, I've got to tell somebody about this. And so for, for maybe for some of us, if we're, if we're Christians, like, if I don't have that response, maybe I've not really understood or heard the good news or st- We want to let people know about it. If we want people to know because we genuinely love that the way of Jesus leads to human flourishing. That, that Jesus showed up and said, I come to show that have life and have it to the fullest, have this abundant kind of life. And life in Jesus doesn't just begin someday, you know, when I die.
the way of Jesus. When I say the way of Jesus promotes human flourishing, I'm not talking about like church. I'm not talking about Christianity per se. I'm definitely not talking about Christendom, which is like the, like the church sitting in places of power and authority throughout the world. I'm talking about Jesus, the person, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm following after him. There's human flourishing that is found there. And maybe still you would say, okay, that sounds nice, but isn't, isn't Jesus kind of an old-fashioned idea? Because there's, there's a thinking, there, there's a, a kind of, again, it's just kind of in the air of like, well, aren't, aren't we past that? Aren't we beyond, like, do we really need God anymore? Like, do we need to do this Jesus thing anymore that, that, that haven't we, as like, as the human race, haven't we, don't we, haven't we progressed enough? Aren't we past that? Because there's a thinking that's kind of been out there for, for several decades, and it, it continues to go forward of, if we, if we just make enough progress, we have advancements in science and technology and medicine. If we're, if we're more educated, if, if we can do these other things, then somehow we can arrive at this, this kind of like secular utopia and we don't need God anymore. And we push into that and, we, and like that's continued to happen. And if, if that's you, if you see the world that way, I, I, I say this with all love and respect, but I honestly want to ask the question, how is that working out? Because for a while it's been like, yes, yes, we, we, don't, we, we can do away with religion, we can do away with Jesus, we can do away with faith, we don't need this anymore because we, are so, we have science and technology and entertainment and material things and things are going great, things are wonderful, but we have more of that than any other point in human history. And yet we see more hatred, we see more discord, we see more division. We, we have a crisis of meaning. We have a crisis of identity. People are like, I don't even know, like, what's the point of being human? Why am I here? Why am I alive? Why should I continue on anymore? We, 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 we're more comfortable than ever in terms of, uh, like, physical things, but we're also less content than ever before. We, we, we're more isolated. We're, we're connected. We have the world at our fingertips, but we are lonely as all get out. The rates of of anxiety, of depression, continue to rise and go through the roof. Rates of addiction and suicide continue to rise. A and so, again, I say this with all love, but it's like, do we really want to do more of that? And if you're a follower of Jesus and you look around, the people that you care about, the people that you love, and if we love where we live, we say, like, no, I don't want that for you. Like, I don't want you to experience pain. I don't want you to experience hurt. And listen, there, there's... There is a lot of unavoidable pain in life. Like life just comes prepackaged with pain. It's a, it's a result of the, just kind of the broken, sinful, messed up world that we're in. There's some, there's some pain that's unavoidable, 
But there's a lot of pain that is avoidable. And, and when we get onto the, the way of Jesus, we avoid a lot of that avoidable pain. And when we come across the pain that is unavoidable, when it's just like this is just a part of life, we, we are anchored to a hope in a God who says, I am with you in that. I will carry you through that. You can trust in me. When everything in your world is falling apart, I am right there with you. You say, I want that for people. We, we don't want people to do what, what's just normal because look around, normal stinks. Again, normal is relationships failing and depression and anxiety and addiction and, and, and like a purposeless existence. We say, that's normal, but normal's terrible. We want better than normal for people. We say, I know a better way. The Jesus way is better. There's life in it. There's joy in it. There's hope in it. There's purpose in it. And if you believe that, and if you're a Christian, I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that the, the Jesus way is better than anything that the world offers because sometimes, man, even as Christians, we fall into this way of thinking of being like, well, yeah, I'm, I follow Jesus, but I'm kind of buying some of the lies that I'm being sold. I'm still chasing after these other things. But if you truly believe that the Jesus way is better than anything else that the world has to offer, we want to tell people about that. And so I want us to look at that th th this morning that, that if we want to love where we live, we want to love where we live, we live the way of Jesus, yes, but we also proclaim the message of Jesus. We live the way of Jesus, we proclaim the message of Jesus. We love our neighbors, so we give and we serve and we sacrifice and we're generous and we, we invest in people like crazy and we meet tangible needs in that way. But we also proclaim why we do those things. We also announce this message of the way that I live, the, the reason I live this way is because the person of Jesus and what he's done in my life. And I know it's, sometimes there's a pushback against that of like, but, but Phil, I just, I just live it out. I just live like my Christian life and, and people will just know, they'll, they'll hear the message of Jesus by my actions. I don't actually need to say anything. And I understand that. I totally get that because honestly, even though I'm, I'm a pastor, like I fall into that thinking. Like it's so, I'm just like, man, can't I just, like I'll just I'll serve people, I'll love people and people will know about Jesus just by how I act. Do I actually have to open up my mouth and say something? And I get where that, that came from because for a long time, it seems like, you know, several decades in the past, there was a tendency to lean too far in the other direction where we, when we talk about sharing the good news, we talk about evangelism, for a long time, it was, it was mostly a picture of just proclaiming. It was just telling people. It was just announcing, hey, you're all sinners, uh, but good news, Jesus died for your sins, so put your faith in him, pray this prayer. For a long time, evangelism was nothing more than selling fire insurance. It was like, hey, knock on your door. Hey, do you know Jesus? You need to know him. You need to pray this prayer so that, you know, you, you don't go to the bad place when you die. And so there was a lot of proclamation, but there wasn't always necessarily a lot of actually, you know, loving our neighbors that went along with that. And it seems like more recently we've kind of went the other direction as a correction to that and said, we're going to do really, really well at loving people, but we're not actually going to proclaim the message. The truth is we need, we need both. We need both. We can't just love people without telling, you know, without telling them why or, or you know, explaining, hey, here's, here's what I believe. Here's why I believe these things. Because believe it or not, if you live the, the Jesus way and love people but never say why, they may not know that because they may just think you're a nice person. Like there are actually nice people that treat people really well that aren't Christians. In fact, there's a lot of them that ni are nicer than a lot of Christians you may know. Yeah, there's a lot of great people that aren't followers of Jesus that do incredible things in the world. So what is it that sets us apart? It, it's proclamation. It's, it's proclaiming Jesus in word and deed. And so I want to look at a couple of, of passages together this morning as we kind of close out our time together, our series together. 
Uh, one is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, and then the other is some words of Jesus. As we look at, okay, what does it look like to step into this gospel, this good news, to love where we live, to live this out, to be people that proclaim it in word and deed? And so, first place we're going to be is Romans chapter 10. Uh, the book of Romans, we call it a book, but it's just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, Jesus followers, Christians living in first century in the city of Rome. And so these are people that this Jesus thing is very, is brand new to them, and they're trying to figure out what does it look like to follow, to put our faith in Jesus, um, and, and they're, they're figuring that out on the fly. And so Paul writes letters to explain and, and to, to kind of tease out what does the Christian life look like. And he writes one particular letter to Christians living in Rome. We now have that as the book of Romans. And, and what we're going to look at, he, he gives this short little kind of description of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the message that they proclaim. And then he goes on to say, okay, here's where that then leads and that we should proclaim it to others. So let's look at this together. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, Paul writes this, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... That little phrase right there, those, those three words, Jesus is Lord, is like a succinct statement of what it means to put your faith in Jesus, of what the gospel is about. Like, Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is the ultimate authority in my life. Not just that Jesus is Savior and I pray the prayer. Not just that I go to church, but it's this idea that Jesus is Lord. That he has the final say in every area of my life. If I'm a follower of Jesus, that means at the end of the day, the ultimate authority in my life is not me, it's Jesus. Like, I, I'm going to submit myself and go wherever he leads. He's got the, he's the ultimate authority, has the ultimate say as it relates to uh, my family, as it relates to relationships, as it relates to money, uh, sex, work, purpose, identity, politics, all of it. I go, okay, Jesus, it's not what I want. Like, Jesus is Lord, what do you say about this? And as like Western, individualistic Americans, we are just like, no, nobody tells me what to do. Like, I am an individual. I am in charge of my own destiny. I am the captain of my own ship. How dare you tell me how to live? And again, with all love and respect and, and gentleness, I ask the question, how well does that work out for us? Because personal experience tells me, and I'm guessing this is probably a lot of your story as well, that most uh, most of the pain points in my life, some of the just things that I regret the most came from a position of me saying, no, I want to be the one who's in authority here and I want to do this thing. And so this idea of Jesus as Lord, like, yeah, it costs you. And, and yeah, sometimes I got to die to myself. There's, I got to die to my desires and the things that I ultimately want, but there is life. There is life that is truly life on the other side of it. He says, so if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that this cornerstone, the central piece of the Christian faith is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, I believe God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's a beautiful sentence. Anyone who makes that declaration that Jesus is Lord will never be put to shame. Shame will not have a hold on you. Shame won't get to uh, determine where you go or what you do. Shame isn't the ultimate authority in your life because Jesus is. And shame is something I feel like so many of us carry and it, it's like a culture of shame. It's like no matter what we do, it's never good enough. And so some of us carry shame because of what we've done in our past. 
Some of us carry shame because of what's been done to us. Others of us may carry shame because it's just the, the pressure of culture today seems so ridiculous and I feel shame about, uh, I feel shame is how I am as a parent. I feel shame is how I am as, as a spouse. I feel shame in just terms of like I'm not accomplishing enough. My life doesn't look perfect enough. Uh, and the, the beauty, again, the freedom that is found in saying, no, Jesus is Lord. He gets the final say over all of those things. Not shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That, those are like the dividing lines in the first century church. The ethnic and religious dividing lines was, are you a Jewish Christian or are you a Gentile Christian? Anybody who's not Jewish. The, the, the Jewish people, uh, that they were God's chosen people. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we talk about that sometimes, is how uh, God was working through the nation of Israel to bring us to the point of Jesus, and Jesus has done, now done something for the entire world. And so, so Paul says, uh, listen, there's no Jew or Gentile, that everyone gets in the same way, that the invitation is to everybody, that the, the, the person, the work of Jesus is, is the same for everyone. You want to be good with God, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you want to you, you not be a slave to shame anymore, everyone gets in the same way. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. See, th that's where there's this power. It's like, yeah, Jesus is Lord. I gotta make that declaration. I gotta make that statement. And man, that costs me something. And I feel like I'm dying to myself and what I want. And that's hard and it stinks. But at the, on the other side of that, he richly blesses those who call on his name. Those who say Jesus is Lord. You, you step into that life that is truly life. The, the, there's something on the other side of of, of saying you are the, the primary thing in my life, I'm following after you, there's a life that we experience that we don't find any other way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To which point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you say like, yes and amen, that's great, hallelujah. Like we celebrate that. Like that's the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel that all it is, it's nothing that you do. Everyone is in the same way that, that Jesus is so good. He's so loving through his life, death, and resurrection. You put your faith in him. You say Jesus is Lord. You start, you start following him. And that's all there is to it. You follow Jesus with everything you have in you. you, you you're, you're saved. You're welcomed into the kingdom of God. And we celebrate that and we should but so often, if you're familiar with this passage, this is kind of where we kind of stop it. We're like, okay, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Great, close my Bible, don't read on, don't see what's next. But the Apostle Paul says something in the very next several verses. He asks a series of questions that should kind of bother those of us that are Christians. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but then he asks this question, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Yeah, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great. But how can they call on someone that they've, that they've not believed in? How can they believe in someone they've never heard of? And how can they hear of this Jesus, this beautiful Jesus, if no one ever tells them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm like, well, that's a little weird. We went from telling people about Jesus to talking about feet, okay? He's, it is a little strange, and, and, but to those in, in Paul's audience that were Jewish Christians, they would have known exactly what he was saying. He's quoting from the, the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. And it's this time in, in the Old Testament, the history of Israel, 
uh, speaking, of those, speaking of those who carried the message to the Israelites that their exile was over. The nation of Israel had been in exile for decades and decades under Babel, uh, the Babylonian Empire. They were under Babylonian rule. They were not a free people. They were oppressed. They were in exile. They were in captivity. And, and there's, there's this picture of messengers running to this nation and saying, it's over. It's done. We are not in captivity anymore. The exile is over. We have been freed. We've been released. We've been redeemed. Like, and he's like, how beautiful, you know, the, the feet of those who bring good news. Like, how welcome that message is. How well received that message is. And, and he makes this, this, paints this kind of picture of just as it was then, the announcement that Israel's exile was over, is this announcement that we bring to people. The, the, the good news of Jesus. That you don't have to continue on in your bondage, in your chains, in your captivity. That, that we are not slaves to the ways of Babylon anymore. Because as Israel was in captivity, in exile in Babylon, the New Testament authors pick up that idea and they talk about the world that we live in, the present world, as, as though it's Babylon. It, it's, it's the powers of darkness, it's death, it's destruction, it's violence, it's hatred. Like that's the world that we're living in. And, and we get to announce this message that you're not a slave to that anymore. You're, you're not a slave to death or to sin or to shame, to guilt, to violence, to oppression, to addiction. You're not a slave to the, 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 the pressure to perform and make everybody like, think that you have it all together. You're not a slave to trying to manufacture your own sense of worth or identity or this is why I'm valuable. He says, no, you, you can be free from all of that. You're free and you're welcomed into the kingdom of God to live under the rule of Christ. You don't live under the power of Babylon anymore. You've declared that Jesus is Lord. You have a new king now. And you live in that freedom. And it's a beautiful thing. And he says, like, but people, when they hear that message, they receive it gladly. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And Paul is saying, he's like, but how can anybody, how can anybody hear that message unless someone tells them? Unless they are sent? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, we are the sent ones. When Paul wrote this, he, he didn't have in mind people like me. There was no concept of this kind of structure of church where, you know, there's a guy on a stage doing this. When he wrote this, he had in mind, no, everyone, everyone is a minister of the gospel of Jesus. Everyone proclaims this message. We are all sent ones. This is an idea that actually originated with Jesus. And this is where we get the term, the Great Commission, and so in Matthew's gospel, this is, this is Matthew 28 is what we're going to look at. But Jesus, here's what has happened. He's been arrested, crucified. The resurrection has happened. Before he ascends the, to go to the Father, he gives his disciples these marching orders. He says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says that Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go. And so he, he starts with this idea. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority is, is mine, Jesus says. So therefore, in light of the fact that the authority is mine, the power is mine, and like, be, because all authority is mine, go. I, I'm reminded of, there, there's a verse in Romans, Romans 1, Paul writes this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. 
It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, look, the gospel, it's not about what you do. It's not about how well you can communicate it or how good you are with your words or your ability to explain everything. Like Jesus is getting at this idea. He's like, no, the authority is mine. The power is found in me. And so as followers of Jesus, if we want to go and make disciples, that can feel like such a heavy, terrifying thing. But this gives us the freedom to take that pressure off and to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about how well I can explain things or, oh my gosh, I gotta make sure I have all of the right answers for everybody and, and this friend that I wanna talk to. And what if I don't know what to say? Jesus, I know, don't worry about that. The gospel is the power of God. It's not the power of Phil, not the power of any of you. Jesus is all authority is mine. Therefore, go, and here's what I want you to go and do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. Make Jesus followers. Make apprentices of Jesus. Not just go and make converts or get someone to, to pray a prayer. Because again, we're, we're not in the business of selling fire insurance. That's not what evangelism is. That's, that's not what declaring the message of Jesus is about. It's about making disciples. Now you gotta also tell people about Jesus. You know, there's this weird, this is kind of insider baseball, but there's this weird dichotomy in churches where people are like, well, are you, are you like an evangelism church or are you a discipleship church? And the implication is that if you're like an evangelism church, you're about telling people about Jesus, then you must be shallow. But if you're a discipleship church, then you're deep. And you grow people and you talk about the deep things. But it's a ridiculous concept because they're two sides of the same coin. That, that you, you can't make disciples if you don't first tell people about Jesus who can say, oh, I want to follow him. And you can't go tell people about Jesus to, to see if they want to follow him if you haven't made disciples who are investing in the people in their lives. So just go and make disciples, and that includes proclaiming this message to people for the first time, and it also includes journeying with them as they discover more and more about who Jesus is. So just go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So as part of this discipleship process is, is this thing that we call baptism. And baptism is, is not what saves a person, that Jesus alone is, is who saves. It's Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection that uh, allows us to enter into right relationship with God. But baptism is this outward declaration of I, I've committed my life to Christ. It's, the, it's like the physical, tangible symbol that, that after I've declared with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, this is me going public with that. This is me sharing that with everybody. And it's a celebration. When we do baptisms here, it's a party. It's a celebration. We clap, we yell, we celebrate because it is a declaration of saying, Jesus is Lord, I'm all in on Jesus. That, that it's identifying with his life, his death, his resurrection. As Jesus was buried and laid into the tomb, we go into the waters of baptism. As Jesus was raised to life, we come up out of the waters. It's this picture of saying, I'm living a new life. I'm living a new life. The life of Christ is, is in me. It's this, it's this important part. I mean, we, we shouldn't like kind of gloss over it because it's like, hey, this is part of the discipleship journey. Jesus is Lord and, and then baptism. And so I would, I would plug right here, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've not taken the next step of baptism yet, I wanna encourage you to do that, whether you're on site with us or online. Um, we're gonna be doing some baptisms, hopefully here at the end of summer, moving into fall. And we're gonna celebrate like crazy new life in Christ. And so if that's your next step, man, come talk to me or Pastor Paul or shoot us a message if you're uh, watching this online. And we would love to help you take that step and celebrate with you. So he says, here we go. Go and make disciples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So here, here's what you do as you're making disciples. 
I want you, you're not reinventing the wheel, I just want you to pass on what you've already learned. Jesus is talking to a group of guys who had spent the last three years with him. They'd, they'd heard him teach. They'd seen the way he loved people and served people and sacrificed for people. They saw the miracles. They, they saw all of it. And he says to them, what you've experienced with me for the last three years, I want you to go pass that on to other people. That's it. You just pass on what you have received. And then he wraps it up and, and says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love the bookends of this. You know, the actual part where we're supposed to go do something is just one little part in the middle. It's just, hey, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I commanded you. But it starts with, all authority has been given to me and I'm going with you. I'm gonna be with you to the end of the age. Jesus says, I have all the authority and no matter where you go, I'm going with you. So what are you waiting for? The authority is mine, the power is mine and I'm not going anywhere, so let's go do this. That's why it's called the great co-mission because we are, you know, on a co-mission. It's, it's Jesus' power and it's us going. He's with us in it. So what are we waiting for? As we kind of wrap things up, I want to give us um, some practical things. If we want to love where we live, it's the great commandment. It's also the great commission. It's proclaiming the message of Jesus. Let me give us some practical things to do here and then we'll close. Um, the first thing we got to do is pray. <laughs> I know that seems like the easy kind of church answer to give. It's like, hey, pray about it. But absolutely, that's where we begin because of what Jesus just said. All authority has been given to him because of what, what Paul said in Romans. The gospel is the power of God. It's not anything that we do. And so if we're not inviting him into it, if he's not a part of that process and we're going out like, I'm gonna tell people about Jesus, it's gonna fall flat on its face. If God's not in it, it's not gonna work. And so we pray, there's two prayers, two types of prayers I wanna leave us with. The first thing is I want you to begin praying that God would work in people. Start praying that God would work in people. I want you to start praying for people by name. People who are like, I want this person to know Jesus. It could be a friend, a family member, a coworker, your next door neighbor, like they need Jesus in their life. You start praying for people by name. And I'm guessing that as I said that, for, for some of you, if not all of you, there are names that are popping into your head. Because you're, you're like, oh, I know there is this person that they just, they need Jesus and that, that person, their name is in your head right now. Don't forget that. Like, take your phone out, type those names into your phone right now, write it down on a piece of paper or one of the cards that are in the, in the seat backs. Like that is God nudging you and saying, you have people in your life that need to know me. Start praying for them by name. God, I pray that they would know you. I pray you would reveal yourself to them. God, I pray that you would show up in their lives, that you would make them open and receptive to your gospel. God, I pray that you would do something supernatural. Just start praying for them. Pray that, pray that God would work in other people. And then the next prayer is pray that God would work through you. Start praying for opportunities. God, I'm praying for this person. I pray that you would show up. And now, God, I pray that you would use me in their life. God, I pray that, that you would give me an opportunity to share with them. I pray that you would give me an opportunity to point them to you. And for some of us, that's where it's like, oh gosh, I don't know if I can pray that prayer. And honestly, I think the reason <laughs> that we don't want to pray that prayer is because deep down we know, if you're, if you're a Christian, you know that's a prayer that God will answer. And that's scary. Right? There's like, I don't know if I want to pray. If I start praying that God works in people, and I start praying that he would use me, I'm like, what if he answers that? And what if I'm in this position where it's like, oh no, I need to share. You know, if, if, if you've ever kind of been there before, you've prayed this or been in those situations where you're in a conversation with someone that you know, you know and you've been investing in and they just kind of, just this underhanded comment or just, uh, this is, uh, just in passing, they say something or they, they make mention of a difficulty or a struggle or, or a question that they have and you're just like, oh no, 
Like, this is it. You're like, oh, no, this is the opportunity. Like, I know, God, why are you doing this to me? Because, like, there's just something inside of you that goes, this is that moment to, like, I need to say something. And there's, like, that internal battle. It's like, oh, my gosh, what do I say? I don't know what to do. But listen, if God has let that rise up in you, you can trust that he's doing something in them and that he's going to guide that conversation. And so we pray that God would work in other people. We pray that he would work through us. But then that leads into the second thing that I want us to do is the way when he's working through us and nudging us to say something, you just pass on what you've received. So Jesus said, hey, teach people to obey what I've commanded. You pass on what you've received. There's not a pressure to answer somebody's questions. There's not a pressure to have perfect theology. There's not a pressure to make sure that you can get it all right. It's just, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's done something in my life. Let me pass that on to them. I love the way the Apostle Peter puts it in a, a letter that he writes to Christians who are this minority in culture. They're persecuted. Nobody really likes them. And he's trying to tell them, here's how you live a faithful Christian life. And in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, hey, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to just give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You don't need to have the answers to all the questions. Like Peter's like, hey, do you have hope in Jesus? If so, you just need to be able to communicate why. Why do I follow Jesus? What has he done in my life? Be, be prepared to give that answer. But I, I love he gives that little warning. Hey, do this with gentleness and respect. That's something that we oftentimes miss and it's kind of gotten the church and Christians into trouble. They're, that's that cramming it down your throat kind of thing. But it's, oh, it's gentleness, it's respect. I'm not, I'm, we're, we're having a conversation here's the reason why I have hope in Jesus. I hear what you're going through. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and this is what Jesus has meant in my life. And you begin a conversation. You share your story, pass on what you've learned, then you invite them into it, and you journey with them. It is a journey. Discipleship isn't a moment. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. We're, we're not looking for a moment. We're not looking for, yay, I told somebody about Jesus and I pressured them into a prayer. I can check that off my list. It's no, I'm, I'm sharing with someone what Jesus has done in my life and I'm journeying with them and praying that God would do something in theirs as well. It's a process. You invite them in and they may have questions you can't answer and that's okay. You know how you answer a question that you don't know the answer to? You, you're honest and you say, you know what? I don't know. But let me look into that for you. Or you know what? I don't know. Why don't we find that out together? And they may not be ready to jump in and follow Jesus right away, but it's a journey that we go on. And there's different steps that you can take. We try to make it practical and partner with you. We want you to be able to invite people to church. We try really hard, and if, if we're falling short in this or you got suggestions, we would love to hear it because our goal is we want to be the kind of church where people who have been burned by the church, have walked away from faith, that have questions, that don't know anything about this Jesus stuff, where you can show up and be like, okay, I can, I can be here, and it's not weird, and it's not awkward, and they can talk to me like I'm an actual human being, and, and, and we can work through these things together. And so invite them to church. Another great step is invite people into Alpha. Alpha is, is something that we've been doing. It's been this incredible experience. We've run two sessions of it so far. There's another one coming up in the fall, and it is designed exactly with this in mind. It's for people who have questions, people who are searching. It's what is this Christian thing all about? Who is Jesus? But you invite them to church, you invite them to Alpha, you do things like that, but not just like, hey, here's this thing, go learn this, but let's go do this together. Let's journey on this together. Pray for them and pass on what, what God has done in your life. 
I'm going to love where we live. It's the great commandment. Yes, we're, we're, we're never going to stop meeting people's physical needs. We're never going to stop being a church. It's all about loving our neighbors and sacrificing and serving and being generous. But it's also about proclaiming the message of Jesus. It's about the great commission. Our communities, our friends, our families, our neighbors are looking for hope, for life, for love, for joy, for purpose. And we have the answer to what they're looking for. His name is Jesus. But in the words of Paul, how will they ever know? How can they, how can they call on the one that they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one that they've never heard about? How can they hear without someone telling them? And how will somebody tell them unless someone is sent? We are the sent ones. God is sending us. He's sending you wherever you're at to proclaim the good news of Jesus in word and deed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for just the way that you work in the world, that you do work through other people, that you deliver your good news through others. God, I thank you that for those of us who are in the room that, or, or watching online who would call ourselves Christians, that there was somebody on the journey who was sent to us, that there was someone who proclaimed the message of Jesus to us. It was a, a parent or a pastor, it was a friend, it was a coworker, it was a neighbor, it was like somebody introduced us to you and our lives have been changed forever because of that. God, we're so grateful for that. And we recognize that you desire to work through us in the same way in other people's lives. And so I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would embolden us, you would give us courage. You would give us wisdom for what to say, for when to speak. I pray that you would, uh, that you would give us emotional intelligence to know how to have you know, delicate conversations, that you would grant us gentleness and respect, as Peter said. God, that you would make us so confident in the hope that we have in you, that the good news that we have received, that it just, we can't help but tell people about it. I pray that you would work in people's lives that we have influence over. And I pray that you would open up opportunities for us to share with them. I pray all of this in Jesus' name.